0: Welcome to Book to Where Two Guys Tell You About the Books They're Reading. I'm Rob Olson,
1: and I'm Livia Snedden. We're back after taking a little bit of a break. Um, the lockdown got so serious that we even locked down from one another and did not do our um, final lockdown episode last week, which is probably okay.
0: I'm, a, I'm on the phone with the Guinness guys right now to see how many times someone has said the word lockdown in one sentence before, and I'm waiting to get. So I'll let you know if they perfect when I'm off
1: hold. Um, I believe that they're in a European time zone, so they might actually be at work right now. Yeah, yeah, it's a little late. <laughs> we are um, back with a book review, and and I'll be honest, I was kind, I've been kind of looking forward to this one. We are going to do um, my second ever, and I believe I speak for Rob to our second ever uh, book that we've read by author Max Brooks.
0: You are correct. I've only, yeah, I didn't read the zombie survival guide. I did read World War Z though.
1: Well, I was so in in preparing for this episode, which is um, for anybody who wants to peek behind the curtain, which is when Rob and I were talking and I pulled up Wikipedia for uh, for Max (laughs) Brooks. um, Apparently, he has written some more zombie stuff that I was not aware of. So uh, uh, he did an anthology in 2010 that was edited by Christopher Golden. And um what did I see there was like a 300 page zombie book that he did after that somewhere I can't find. It. Oh, here we go. He wrote the four oh, he wrote a forward for never mind. <laughs> so he wrote some short stories and a bunch of GI Joe stuff, which I'll be honest with you, we're supposed to have Mr. Brooks on um in just a few days. So Wednesday is when we'll have him on, which means uh, if all goes well, you guys will hear that on Thursday of of this coming week. But kind of excited to talk to him about GI Joe. I I'm
0: going to let you lead that part of the conversation. Cause I don't know enough about GI Joe. I remember though, when we did have, I can't remember what episode it was, but you were talking about all those GI Joe figures and mm-hmm. you got really excited about it. So, yeah.
1: yeah. Well, but, listen, I, here's the thing. I just wanted you to know, Because knowing is half the battle.
0: There we go. (laughs) All right. So half the battle for our listeners, then, is going to be a quick uh, bio for Max Brooks. And then Livius is going to read a really nice uh, synopsis for the book that we're talking about tonight, which is Devolution. Max Brooks is the author of World War Z, The Zombie Survival Guide, Minecraft, The Island, and Devolution, A Firsthand Account of the Rainier Sasquatch Massacre. His graphic novels include G.I. Joe Hearts and Minds, The Extinction Parade, Germ Warfare, A Graphic History, and The Harlem Hellfighters. Brooks holds dual fellowships at the Atlantic Council's Brent Scowcroft Center for Strategy and Security and the Modern War Institute at West Point. Holy shit
1: yeah i know you i know what you're saying holy shit about what i'm thinking in my mind i was like holy shit how did those people at the brent Snowcroft or scowcroft center for stress <laughs> how did they not name that in a way that it was like an acronym Because yeah. it's not like pronounced you know what i mean it's like you really would think awkward. they would have rearranged it and it would, would have been like Sasbab or something and then nope, something yeah not not a chance yeah yeah um, let's add that to the the questions for the interview. Yeah. Is how does he refer to that place? Because there's no way he throws out those like ten words. You
0: know, they just use one of the words like Scowcroft or something, and it's, yeah. it represents yeah. the whole. Yeah, yeah, that's what
1: I would do anyway. Yep. Yeah. All right. Uh, here is the synopsis for. Uh, by the way, we're just going to refer to it as Devolution and not a first hand account of the Rainier Sasquatch Massacre, right? I believe. Is yeah. That fair. Yeah. It's a good yeah. strategy. Set in the wilds of Washington State, Green Loop was once a model eco-community, until nature's wrath made it a tragic object lesson in civilization's fragility. Offering a glorious back to nature experience with all the comforts of high-speed internet, solar smart houses, and the assurance of being mere hours from Seattle by highway, Green Loop was indeed a paradise, until Mount Rainier erupted leaving its residents truly cut off from the world and utterly unprepared for the consequences. With no weapons and their food supplies dwindling, Greenloop's residents slowly realized that they were in a fight for survival. And as the ash swirled and finally settled, they found themselves facing a specter none of them could have predicted or even thought possible. In these pages, Max Brooks brings to light the journals of resident Kate Holland, recovered from the town's bloody wreckage, faithfully reproducing her words alongside his own investigations into the massacre that followed, and the legendary beasts behind it. If what Kate saw in those days is real, then we must accept the impossible. We must accept that the creature known as Bigfoot walks among us, and that it is a beast of terrible strength and ferocity. Part survival narrative, part bloody horror tale, part scientific journey into the boundaries between truth and fiction, this is a Bigfoot story as only Max Brooks could chronicle it, and like none you've ever read before. Here's what I'm going to say. I somehow got it in my head that Devolution was some type of pandemic book because I don't <laughs> do a lot of preparation before reading a book. Like we decide, oh, hey, Max Burke got a new book out. We'll, we'll totally read this. So <laughs> so I get like 15% in and I message Rob, and I'm like, um, I think this, this book's about Bigfoots. Which, is, which to me um i got
0: it like no judgment like we we often don't read the synopsis and so like that totally makes sense but like it to me it meant that you didn't look at the book cover like part of the ebook that we got oh you are correct i did not because the book cover is a dead giveaway because there's a foot and a much bigger
1: foot like that's the cover (laughs) like so one of the things that happens so i use a, a When I say traditional Kindle, I use the actual Kindle, the paper okay. white. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when you open a book, I don't think it ever opens to the cover. Like yeah. it opens to the first page that has text on it, which is usually the like dedication page. Yep. And I don't, I don't typically like flip back to to see the cover. That's fair.
0: Yeah. And honestly, I think that the iPad app, Kindle app, does that too. Like it goes to the first like text active page as opposed to like all like the fluff. Mm -hmm. that you get before that because like i'm sure they got enough complaints from people who don't want to look at like the library of congress page or whatever that they just like built in that feature but um yeah (laughs) it's a big footy book for sure
1: yeah yeah i was like i said i was caught a little off guard all right the pandemic book
0: is uh is next month with uh paul Tremblay's book right survivor song
1: I believe I. You know what? I'm going to say yes, and then I'm going to get into it. I'm going to message you, and I'm going to be like, "Oh, this is a book about sharks." <laughs> Fucking no! I don't. know. Whatever. There you go. All right. Um. Let's uh. Let's get into this. Uh, let's see how far we can get into this, and then let's see what kind of discussion this merits. Because there's some things I want to run past Rob, and I'm still trying to formulate how to do it. So here, here's what I'll say. I'll I'll say this for everybody, but for Rob, Rob has probably already seen my score on this book.
0: Oh, I'm looking and, at
1: it. And this score is very likely or or it's possible that it will change based on the conversations we have, not just during this review, (laughs) but during the likely spoiler review, um, as I try to reconcile like some of my thoughts uh, about this book. That's fair. That's fair. Yep. Um, So uh, the very synopsis, very, very straightforward and and very dead on. Um, We're introduced. Let me take another step back. Max Brooks also wrote World War Z. I know it's said in the bio, but I want to remind everybody. And if you're thinking, oh, I saw that movie. I did not see that movie. And the reason I didn't see that movie is because it looked nothing like the book that I I very much enjoyed um, upon its release a dozen or so years ago, whenever that came out. Mm -hmm. The thing that made World War Z special for me, and not to go too far off, but the way the book was presented is there was a zombie outbreak. The zombie outbreak has been crushed. Um, There is a person who is responsible for compiling the the congressional papers on the whole thing. And the book that we're reading are the outtakes that didn't make it into the official. So they're the personal accounts of people who, um, in some cases, were very important to, um, the, I don't know, in, in fighting the zombies or people who were there at the beginning and stuff. So it was told from these multiple points of view as a historic document about a war against zombies. So that for me was the first time I'd read anything like that. Um, not only was it a great story, um, it was interesting typically a zombie story or most whatever monster stories, like you start somewhere, but you don't know how it ends. So it's interesting when an author can tell you, yep, this is the account of what happened. Like, yep, the zombies have been wiped out for two years now. World's totally safe from zombies. Here's the story and still keep it compelling enough for you to be interested, right? So let's fast forward a dozen or so years and uh, Devolution comes out. And uh, definitely not a carbon copy of World War Z. Um, but told in a somewhat similar fashion. So, obviously, much smaller scale. It only follows the people who um, are living at Green Loop, which is uh, ten or so characters. Um, but the 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 actual narrative is delivered by Kate Holland through a series of or through a journal in which she makes entries at the recommendation of her um, therapist. So she uses that to record the goings on interspersed with that uh so we're, we're this is also being told to us from the standpoint of a person who's been asked to write this book um to, to deliver her journals to the world and it's interspersed with an interview interviews with her brother and interviews with people from the wildlife foundation and historic accounts of other things So in a way, it feels very much like World War Z, but like the much, much smaller scale version of it, where we really follow one person along for the whole ride instead of, and I'm just throwing out a number, the 18 people in World War Z that told us that story.
0: Yeah, more Blair Witch than history book, kind of, in a way. Yeah,
1: that's a very good way to put
0: it. Uh, (laughs) So the book, and and so... That's that's absolutely the structure of the book. And um, I have some thoughts on on the effectiveness of, this, of that structure, but I want to start out by saying that. So when you read the synopsis, um, the part that jumped out to me having read it after reading the book is that it says, in these pages Max Brooks brings to light the journals of resident Kate Holland recovered from the town's bloody wreckage. The synopsis makes you think Max Brooks is the one that's telling this real-life event. Um, and so he is ostensibly the narrator that's putting this together interesting Um, which i didn't really think about when i was reading the book and i don't know if it's gonna be helpful for someone who hasn't read it yet but um it's not something that i was thinking of kind of as i was reading it but if i if i had the structure of max brooks is telling this event that happened he's using kate's journals as well as the other stuff that livius mentioned maybe i would have felt more comfortable about that structure because the the it never directly says who's creating this, this narrative. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes at the beginning, I was confused. Is this, you know, Kate who's, you know, gotten through all this and put this book together. Is this her brother? Who's, who's telling this? I decided I didn't really care that much and didn't pay attention to it, (laughs) but now having read the whole thing uh, and then going back to the synopsis it's like, Oh, this makes sense. It's basically like Max Brooks is standing in for, whoever would have written this, this book, if it was an actual thing.
1: Yep. That's one of the things I really like that. It starts off, um, the, the forward to the book, um, addresses that this is a book being written and, and the, the, and again, I I don't know if it's Max Brooks or not, or if that's just how the synopsis is worded, but, um, like the reason they were contacted and asked to write this book. So when you're reading it at first, you start thinking, is this written, is the forward written by Max Brooks. But I, I, again, I am kind of hanging out. It's like anonymous person right. that, that wrote, but you know what I mean? But it, it, at one point it, it feels real enough because it says, Hey, here's why I'm writing this book, blah, 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 blah. And as you get into it, Bigfoots come up and you're like, Oh, okay. <laughs> so this isn't an actual forward because it's addressing a situation that, that didn't happen in real life. The, the Mount Rainier um, eruption. eruption yeah. So, yeah, but it's nice that, that it's, much, again, like World War Z, it's prefaced by um, the things that you're about to read are absolutely true, even though you know they're not true. if that makes sense?
0: Yep. So, um, diving into the actual story, uh, the book – so, like, outside of the, the introduction that Lovias just talked about, the actual, like, story where we pick up with the characters is with um, Kate Holland, who uh, whose journal we follow throughout the book – and her husband, Dan, are just arriving at Green Loop, this, um, uh, you know, eco city in the middle of nowhere by Mount Rainier. And they're one of, like Livia said, probably 10 to 12, you know, people that live in this super technologically advanced um, remote little village, I guess. Um, so the story picks up with Kate... <laughs> starting journaling to her therapist about arriving and meeting everybody and getting a, a sense of the tone of the people that they're living with. And also the, the way that the group and the, the community kind of feels, and it's a really crunchy granola kind of hippie situation where, um, everything is as eco-friendly as possible, but the people tend to lean toward the like yoga and, you know, pacifism and hippie type of vibes and stuff like that so the beginning (laughs) of the book is very much establishing the tone of the place that they are anticipating having this like really nice off the grid but still connected to the world experience before you know anything starts to go wrong
1: yeah i mean tony and and yvette durand who are the you know, I'm I'm assuming billionaire couple that um, that start this. You know, Tony is actually presented a little bit like Elon Musk to me until they mention Elon Musk right. in the book. <laughs> so you kind of you know at least that that's not um, that it's not just a uh, uh, you know a, a carbon copy of, of Elon Musk. But yeah, and in, in going into it, I, I you know I maybe rolled my eyes a little bit. I was like, oh these these characters, they're not exactly i necessarily want to read about right so like rob said he's a yoga instructor there's a an old hippie couple right like they're just not you know they they, they felt um at least early on to be very cookie cutter but that changes um throughout the course of the book and and i think that's one of, definitely one of the strengths of this book is is watching the transition of, of some of these people and including our protagonist who you know goes from um working with a therapist to try to to work out situations in her life. She's in a not terribly happy marriage. It's not horrible, but there's there's not a lot of great going on there. They they both moved there, but her husband has been out of work uh, through numerous failed startups, and he's out of work and doesn't really do much, you know. But, you know, you're, you're introduced to, to these situations where it's not easy to become attached to any of the characters, I, I guess, at least early on. Did you feel that?
0: I totally agree. Like, especially the ones that, that as, as time goes on, become less, um, you can tell some of the characters are less important to the overall (laughs) narrative than others. And I just didn't really grow too much. And even like Livia's looking at my list of characters that I made in her notes, there's a couple that I just, the actual notes were nothing much to say. So, um, yeah, I agree. Um, and, I don't know if this is the right time to mention, but like in the beginning, um, I was, I, it took a little bit for me to get into the story. And I guess this is a good enough time to talk about this, but it's because it's a very linear narrative. It doesn't jump times at all. So, um, at the beginning, it's a boring hippie life. And so if you're not super excited about a boring hippie life, Um, there's really not a lot going on to kind of pull you to the next chapter. Um, but there's a very good reason for that. And then the narrative really kind of pays it off in the end. But yeah, in the beginning, it is a little bit like reading the journal of someone who goes to live in a hippie town, which is not the most exciting thing in the world.
1: Yeah, I, and I'm going to simultaneously agree and disagree with you, but it took me a good 25% of this book where I was kind of like waiting for something to happen that I was kind of reflecting on so far what the story was, which is exactly what you said. It's their first few days and them acclimating how things run in this, in this little community and stuff. And I did find that, um, of course, you know, I, I learned some things, right? But I, I was like, oh, this is kind of a, a good way uh, to look at, you know, uh, kind of a fascinating thing, the way that their um, their community is set up. So, for example... Um, their heating is conducted using biogas, which is gas made from human waste, right? And I was like, that's kind of interesting. I mean, I'd heard some stuff about it, but I didn't really understand how it worked. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. it was interesting to get a look at what potentially a town like that could look like and what the resources were. And I know we've dropped the word hippie a bunch of times and totally they're a bunch of hippies, but it's also (laughs) like a smart community, right? Like, so everything is, you know, (laughs) it's, like smart bulbs and solar panels and you know what i mean so there was some stuff there that i i thought was interesting um the potential issue for somebody is if you don't find that stuff interesting it can take a little while to to kind of get to the 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 meat of the story yeah uh
0: and honestly it's not too long into the book before things start to um change it up a little bit the the eruption of mount rainier doesn't Happen too far along, maybe 25 30 percent into the book, and that's when um, a gradual shift happens, where one of honestly my favorite characters in the entire book starts to re- is the one who kind of understands how bad it can get if you're in the middle of the woods and a fucking volcano erupts nearby. Um, and can we just agree? I think it even like told you how to pronounce it, but I don't remember. Mustar. Mhm I believe that's right mustard i mm-hmm. I'm going to go with that um is this uh Eastern Euro- European woman who uh is there by herself she's an artist she does these like um glass um I don't know what you want to call them glass figures or whatever sculptures S- sculptures thank you for that and um while everybody is like aware that this eruption took place it's obvious that they're not properly trained in survival to, to start trying to anticipate what they need to do in case of a worst-case scenario. So she steps up and she <laughs> um, kind of allies allies herself with um Kate and Dan to just go on full survival mode and plan for the food, like, down to, like, how many calories they're eating a day and stuff. And so she kicks into, like, full-on, like, the Rambo-type, like... <laughs> I don't even know if that's accurate, but that's what I said. She's like the that's, Rambo of the
1: situation. It's, it's totally accurate because if you go further, right? <laughs> she's like making like bamboo spears <laughs> later in the book, which is totally something that Rambo, I'm sure, did in some in some of his uh, in some of his movies. Yeah.
0: So she she jumps into gear and she starts pushing Dan and Kate to uh, just p- prepare for what's coming, which is totally. Different than the tone of the rest of the village, which is like, oh, I'm sure they're coming to get us. And even though like our internet's not working right now, um, you know, it's just a matter of time until like, you know, the people come and save us, that type of thing.
1: Yep. All right. I'm going to wrap up the story part of this because I think there's still a lot to talk about. Um, But for as far as story goes, they're cut off from the rest of the world and Bigfoots appear. I don't think I'm giving anything away. I'm pretty sure (laughs) that's all in the synopsis. And from there, the second half of the book is um, not just... Um, survival versus the elements and the potential of help not coming through the winter and not being enough food and 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 the the smart ecosystem failing on them. There's all of that plus Bigfoots. Plurry. So that's kind of yeah. So that's kind of where you <laughs> where you you know that that's kind of where the rest of the story goes. We talk about Green Loop for a little bit yeah so i had I had some concerns going into this, so um it, it getting into the story, not when I opened it up because I thought it was about a pandemic. so I had no <laughs> concerns about bigfoots or anything else. It's weird your notes do say where the hell's the pandemic? so yeah, yeah um <laughs> i so we're introduced to this character right through through her journal. I, I guess we're introduced through an interview with her brother, I believe right before that yep. At any rate that that's wrapping up that she's missing. We get to Green Loop, and I'm like, "Oh, an eco community, and this is going to be a lot of um, about climate change, and it's going to be really preachy, and and whatever." And, and you know how I feel about preachy books, right? And there's all these hippies, and I was like, "All right, this is going to be a little bit of a grind." I feel like somewhere in there, and this is definitely something I want to ask um, Mr. Brooks. Um, I feel like a little bit of this book maybe sets itself against eco communities. Like it really points out all the bad things about trying to sequester yourself in the middle of nowhere in an eco community. Did you get that feeling too, that maybe there's a little bit of?
0: Oh, 100%. Um, maybe not saying, hey, this is a bad idea, but absolutely saying like, and using this community in the book as an example of like, a lot of these ideas aren't fully formed. Like you you are only thinking about what can happen, like the good thing you can do, or like the the like you're not considering the fact that you're putting yourself out into nature, which is dangerous. I think is is kind of the criticism mm-hmm. that um the book was putting on the idea of a community like this.
1: There's a part in it, um, and it's during one of the interviews. I, I feel like it might be with the the. And I, I apologize, so I, mean, I think she's a park ranger, mm-hmm. like wildlife specialist where she says, yeah, a lot of people are talking about, we got to get back to nature. We got to do nature and don't realize that nature is goddamn vicious. Yeah. Yep. And and I thought that was such a great way in one sentence to kind of sum up the, the, one of the themes of the book, right? Because definitely big theme is Bigfoots. The other theme is like, yeah, you think you're being cute by, you know, communing with nature, but nature will kick you right in the balls if it gets a chance. And, and I, I found that to be kind of interesting because I felt like I was being led down a path where I thought like, all right, I'm going to my PQ and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read 270 pages of sermon. And really it turned around <laughs> into, like I said, a, 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 a cautionary tale. Which I thought was really good. Well, honestly,
0: that's in a way that's one of my favorite things about this book, Um, especially early on and throughout. Actually, kind of throughout the whole book, I'm reading uh, the different characters in this community and the way they react to things. I couldn't help but like saying, "Yeah, that's probably what I would do." Like in a very naive, unexperienced way that would be putting myself in danger there's a reason i haven't chosen to go out to one one of these communities maybe i have a little bit more common sense or i'm less optimistic than these people but like what i love about a lot of the structure of this book is that i have to imagine that he said to himself what would real people be like in this situation and it's very realistic it's 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 taking something extraordinary which is the idea of bigfoot which I'm not saying it's not possible that there are bigfoots um and it's not making it this like crazy slasher story it's making it this is probably what would happen like if if those series of circumstances actually did happen
1: yeah and I mean and I'm glad I'm glad he picked the cast he did so mostar or master or however we decide on saying that um to backtrack for, for listeners, um, I am uh, assuming that she lived because it's cited um, as Bosnian. I think that's in the afterward. Right. But she yeah. lived through a country that went through um, one of the craziest civil wars, uh, you know, of, yeah. of the last century. So she knows about hunger and fear and, and living, you know, off the land or getting by on, on what you've got, which is great, because this other this book could have turned around and been a different thing, too, where it was a bunch of survivalists living in this community. It wouldn't have been anywhere near as impressive. So we have her who's kind of giving us the framework of what they have to do to survive right, wrong or indifferent. Um, And she's educating people like me and you who would have no fucking idea how to survive near the woods or what to do or how to figure out how many calories we need per day to survive. Right? Like I would be eating, just like I normally would. And I would be on on the, well, they've got to come get us. Some people know we're here, you know, that's, that would totally be me and and likely you. So it's, it's, it's a good way to take, I think, to take that one character that has some knowledge to educate people. Let's face it. 95% of people that read this book are going to fall into that latter category, right? They've always lived in civilization or in a big city or even a big town like we do. You know, and, and I've never had to deal with the fear of nobody knows we're here. Like, I can reach out a window and knock on the neighbor's house if I want to. You know what I mean? Like,
0: Yeah, and that balances against everything that happens once, like, an additional layer of danger arrives, which is the Bigfoots. Um, but everything, the way that he lays out, like, what happens is is great. So, like, a great example is... Um, They start a garden in one of the rooms and they don't start a garden in a way where they have a handy, you know, uh, a guidebook that tells them exactly what to do. And they have a functioning garden. They do it in a way where someone with no experience of gardening does what they think they remember from like grade school happening once or twice, but they don't know if it's going to work or not. So they have no hope of this project actually working. They just know that they have to try. So, yeah, situations like that just fucking made the book so good.
1: Yeah, and like I said, the way he develops these, I think it's 11, I think I counted 11 characters, um, is 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 done really well. Because some of them transition to being um, different people. Some don't, which is probably also a very accurate way to... Uh, to depict what would happen in a situation like this. Right. Yeah. Um, so just for the characters we talk about, you know, we talked about Kate obviously is our, and the protagonist always has to have the biggest transition, right? Or it's not a great story, but Kate has to transition. Um, most really doesn't she's, she's the, the rock solid one that has just enough knowledge to kind of steer, um, the care the rest of the characters, uh, hopefully into the right direction. But there's Carmen and Effie that and again, as Rob said, there's not a whole lot to say about them as characters, but even they have to change the way that they think. But then there's a guy named Reinhardt who is an academic type, who winds up being an academic type through the whole book. You know what I mean? So he yeah. he's like he's stagnant and other people around him are changing. And it's it's interesting to see where they go, who who they start out as and who they're willing to be as you get into the you know final pages of, of Kate's journal for sure.
0: Um I'd like to talk a little bit about the the y stuff if that's okay? Sure. Um so as the bigfoot element of the book kind of slowly encroaches um into the crazy green loop part of the story, least throughout the book, uh besides the journal are other things like um there's interviews with Frank McCrae, which is Kate's brother, um but there's also like Livius was saying before, interviews with um, like the the animal people and other historical documents, and and there's so there's a lot of science thrown at you throughout the story about like how Bigfoots could be possible, and I think that that was a great part of the book as well because it wasn't just oh Big there's one Bigfoot and he's out in the mountains somewhere, it it accounted for what the most realistic scientific explanation for the existence of Bigfoot would be, including crossing over from other continents and, um, comparing a lot between the behavior of other great apes and like what, like a Bigfoot would be. Um, and even analyzing, um, how predatory they would be, how smart they would be. There was just a ton of that stuff put in, throughout the book that, that added context of this isn't just some mythical creature that we suddenly have to deal with. Like, this is something that scientifically could have happened. I'm glad that, um,
1: I'm not just glad you went in this direction. I'm glad you went in it the the way that you did. So do you think, I mean, you know, knowing what we know about Max Brooks, do we think that that's all, I mean, what's your feeling? Is that all, all like legit, stuff like you know what i mean is this all you know kind of cited from existing <laughs> stuff or do you think that that was manufactured for the book
0: um well uh, i was I, I was really curious about that um and so I, I didn't go too far into it but like uh one thing i did do which i thought for like the crackpot pot like barometer would be i went to the bigfoot subreddit huh. and Jeez. um i just looked through like what was listed there and a lot of it is uh kind of in a similar vein like people talking about evolution and and even like maps of the world back when you know there was that um whatever it was called uh between Russia and the in Alaska or whatever that uh-huh. yep. bridge uh so there was a lot of that sciency type of stuff but there was like just hey this is my drawing of Bigfoot like that kind of thing but um someone had posted uh an article on IO 9 about this book coming out and I was like all right this is going to this is going to tell me whether this is like something that these bigfoot people are excited about or if they think it's like some sort of like heresy or something and everybody was very excited about it so um to me that might mean that he actually aligns more with the people who are trying to figure out like a realistic explanation of things so like uh, to answer your question I think he, he he took a lot of inspiration from what people are actually saying and then probably filled in the gaps to fit his
1: narrative. So based on all that, where, where do you stand there's questions? Was Bigfoot <laughs> real? And does Bigfoot exist today?
0: <laughs> um I actually I watched a video before uh earlier today of um Jane Goodall. Mm-hmm. And the person interviewing her asked her a bunch of fucked up questions, but mentioned Bigfoot. And her response was um, that uh, that it's it's crazy that every continent has their own version of a Bigfoot. Um, yeah. And she's hopeful that something like Bigfoot does exist. Um, but, you know, she can't say that that it does. And I'm kind of not hopeful, but, like, I feel like it all kind of makes sense. We just don't have... The, the big proof and i think that the the biggest detractor from bigfoot's existing is finding remains like there would have to be some sort of like skeletal remains somewhere or something like that mm-hmm. and like maybe they're just somewhere that's so remote that we don't go there and find that stuff i don't know or maybe there's some sort of cultural thing where they smash their bones they're never found who knows but like yeah i i I'm open to the idea, but there's
1: a conspicuous lack of evidence. Um, what I'll say to that, that model, the the Jane Goodall model, and and I've I've heard this before, but I also want to remind you and listeners that every continent has some story about vampires too. <laughs> so, <laughs> wow, take that, Jane. Well, I, but that's it's true. I mean, in, in literally every culture, there is something that closely resembles, you know, essentially Dracula. Or, or some version of right so um yeah I it's it's so weird because for something like okay your average person is not talking about vampires being real right or werewolves or, or whatever even though they're they're found in various cultures right um like bigfoot gets treated as real enough if that makes sense yeah. That, you know, I, I I have to imagine that there probably was, um, at some point, something remotely like, like Bigfoot. I, I don't think, and I know there's still a lot of areas, and it, it's even covered in this book, how much area there is in the United States that, that literally nobody has set foot in, or at least doesn't reside in, right? Like you can pass through, but then no one passes through for long periods of time. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I'm kind of on, I think Bigfoots were a thing. I I don't necessarily think they are now. I I think that I think the technology we have now would make it um, fairly easy if somebody was serious about looking. Right. So thermal imaging from drones right over the Pacific Northwest, um, you know, would would be one way if somebody was really serious about it, that they could scan, you know, huge swaths of land looking for for, um, you know, mammal heat signatures and then based on that heat deciding if it's, you know, bigger than a man or not. So I, I, I don't know. I I don't (laughs) think they're around now. Um, but I, I do think that there's something to that, that there's just too much of it in, um, in our history for there not to be, for them not to have been, I guess I should say.
0: One, uh, actually, as you were saying that I thought of this, um, there's a, there's a YouTube channel I've been watching a lot lately, um, called answers with Joe. And he just analyzes science or science adjacent kind of concepts and talks about them in in very plain English. And um, I can't remember what exactly the video was about, but he talked about something that never really occurred to me before, um, which was the idea that in order for a species to survive, there is a minimum number that have to be alive at any one point to kind of like move survival forward. And uh, I think it's something like 50 Or something is like the general idea of if you have less than that, eventually you'll die out. And so, uh, I think the real challenge of Bigfoot being alive today is there can't be one Bigfoot. There has to be dozens and like for dozens to, to remain
1: undetected is, is pretty fucked up with everything you just said. Right. And that's, yeah, that, that, that's a little bit, I think that plays into what I was saying a little bit. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Yeah, because if you have one Bigfoot, whatever their lifespan is, yeah. one Bigfoot can't reproduce, right? I mean, we're assuming if they're ape-like, <laughs> right, that you would need at least two, when two would turn into three, would turn into four, which would then turn into five, which might peel back to two, right? So at a right. minimum, you know, like you said, I don't know about 50, but a dozen, yeah, maybe could could do it for, for a couple hundred years. So, anyway. yeah, and <laughs>
0: in, in ideal conditions, but like um, without a society and an infrastructure, like, really tens not a lot because you know one could fall down and hit its head and that's it or break an arm and that's it so yeah
1: um, I do think so I guess I want to compare and contrast a little bit we did read the ancestor um not yeah. <laughs> long ago which um, did not have bigfoots but had ice ice men I think yep. it was called which were very much bigfoots yeah um, living in in a on, a on a really cold mountain in in Italy um I mean, I, they're not the same type of book, right? I think that I think that Brooks really pushes for, and again, my only other exposure being World War Z pushes for the most realistic version of something, um, where the other one, uh, and I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but I I don't think, I don't think tried to be realistic. I think it tried to tell an interesting story.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Um. But yeah, I mean, so pick pick a Bigfoot book for 2020. I guess is what I'm saying. I, I, my money's on Devolution
0: yeah uh well yeah before reading this it would have been the ancestor (laughs) but uh i'm with you um but uh, this this book plays more into what i like i like the idea of like this book basically says like this is everyday life plus a bigfoot you know here and there um which to me allows me to be more immersed in the story than the ancestor had a lot of uh weird like not weird but Grander type parts to the story, like someone becomes an heiress to you know an right, ancient yep. family and stuff, and that's just way more removed from my life than this. I could see myself rolling up in someone's Prius to this place and being horribly unprepared for a volcano eruption. There's hmm. actually speaking of the eruption, I want to make one point that didn't come up in the book, which I thought was interesting, um, which was how people did. And you know what? It might be realistic considering the people that that are in this town, but volcano ash is really not. It's really not healthy. It's like actually pretty dangerous. Were you aware of that? Um. Yes. Yep. Yeah. There's like hydrochloric acid, hydrofluoric acid in there. So like at the very least, if you have little exposure to it, your you know nose is runny, your eyes are puffy and red, like your lungs get irritated, um, and it really wasn't it re- it wasn't approached maybe there just wasn't room in the book to like accurately depict someone interacting with volcano ash but this was like i was like this is it this is the time i actually get to read about realistic interaction with volcano ash and it didn't happen
1: yeah i and and i guess we forget about i, I keep forgetting about the eruption right because bigfoots but um <laughs> The other interesting thing, too, is is there's always something a little bit cool about a book that has a major, major catastrophe, but then the the focus of the book is very small. Mm-hmm. So again, I go back and I, I may have touched on this a little bit when I was talking about World War Z. World War Z was literally there are fucking zombies everywhere and how are we going to combat them and the things we try and fail at and it gets worse and then it gets better and then it gets worse and finally we like figure it out, Right. But it's it's done on this epic scale. Yep. And this is literally 11 people yeah. living in six houses or whatever it's on this fucking side of this mountain. Right. Although what we have and it, it's in the background, it's in the news reports. Right. Widespread rioting, looting uh, people that are cut off from food and emergency services. I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff, but it's all in passing and we're very, very narrowly focused. And yet we're narrowly focused on this community that's cut off from the rest of the world. And the story is really still not about the eruption. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's done. It's done very well. As far as, as far as that goes,
0: I'll agree. And honestly, like now that we've gotten to the point where we probably would go over to spoiler talk, I'm not sure whether I need it or not.
1: Um, I don't either. Here's what I think we would talk about in spoiler talk. I am really glad that we changed, um, audience to conclusion in our metrics for for scoring uh this is uh a fantastic um conclusion to the book and and rob and i well i still want to talk off air about it because i think rob might think that i had a different opinion on how this uh, on how this (laughs) came out right like what my thoughts would be on the conclusion nope handled absolutely perfectly
0: that's yeah that's I will say, uh, so we we got a digital copy of this from the publisher, and that's how we read it. Um, And I flipped to that last. I read the last line, and I was like, "Holy shit!" Like out loud, I actually said, "Like holy shit!" I didn't expect that. Like, um, well, I said what happened, but so like, "Holy shit!" I didn't expect ABC. Um, So yeah, uh, that's that. That would be the one thing I'd want to talk about, and we'll just talk about it off the air. It's it's not. It wouldn't make. Uh, a sufficient enough uh, spoiler talk is basically we'd just be like patting the dude on the back for this specific thing. We're not going to say right now.
1: Yep. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to go into wrap up. Um, I have changed my score. Um, I, I was going to say a little bit, but I guess on a percentage level, fairly significantly based on the conversations that we had. Um, uh, again, not sure what I was expecting. I, I knew this wasn't gonna be world war Z because the page count is, is a lot lower Um, I like the way it was treated um, similarly to World War Z, but on a smaller scale. Um, I really like that because there was a familiarity there with someone that was going to tell us a story um, through some interviews and through some firsthand accounts. um, And and definitely not as uh, sporadic as maybe World War Z was and how many people were telling the story. You could actually get attached to some of the characters, which was uh, which is really good. I really liked, um, and I just mentioned, so I won't go through the whole thing again, but I really liked the big disaster, narrow focus, but that's not the real problem for these people. Um, I really like that as a storytelling um, element. The characters, um, I, I, you know, the ones you, you really liked and the ones you didn't, all were treated well through the course of the book. So no matter how small, they all had some kind of transitional um, development, um, throughout the book. And it would have been really easy to not give, um, and again, some of them, I I think it was, uh, the ones that didn't, I think was on purpose, um, that they stayed, um, they stayed static in, in their beliefs and and how they were going to behave while others around them were able to adapt. Um, I liked the Bigfoots. I like that whole part of the story. I think that it was treated, um, well, Bigfoot is something that I think could really easily be mishandled to be hokey or um, um, comic booky, and and I don't think that's what happened here. Um, we didn't talk about how goddamn brutal some of the parts in this book were, and there's there's a scene I'm sure Rob knows exactly what I'm talking about where I was like, Jesus Christ, man! I mean, it was just viciously brutal. Um, So overall, I I really liked it. Uh, I gave it the highest marks I have given for conclusion, uh, which I know we've only done for a couple of books, but an absolute 10 for the conclusion. I couldn't have been happier with the way it ended. Um, Other high marks for me, a personal score of nine and and, uh, tone, which is one that I changed um, up a little bit. Uh, Final score, 8.38 out of 10. I really like this one.
0: Um, Before I go into my personal... uh wrap up. I want to call back to when we had Josh Mallerman on the podcast for a quick, not a quick, actually a quite a long conversation about this and that When He was in the middle of doing Carpenter's farm. We talked about some of the books that we had on the horizon and devolution came up and he was raving about it in that conversation. Cause he had already read it. Um, and it turns out he read it because he was blurbing it um, because his blurb shows up on the book and on the Amazon page um, he says there's a there's a bowstring undercurrent running through the whole Mac, whole of Max Brooks's newest that's liable to snap a reader in half. Characters so real you could name them from your own life, even as you call for them to run for cover. Max Brooks has written the next great epi- epistolary novel. Devolution is phenomenal. So, that's your testimony from Josh Mallerman. For sure. Uh, as far as what I thought, I loved World War Z. I thought it was, um, it, it, it's a moment in modern literature where someone did something different, where I'm sure there were tons of authors when they read it. They were like, why didn't I fucking think of that? And we've even read books that tried to do that same thing to, uh, far like worse effect, I guess I'm talking about Robo-Hocalypse. Um... But, yeah, Max has a really good eye for how to tell the story as far as like how to lay it out to make it interesting. But one of the things that I think is so good about this book and that makes it stand out is how real it is how I could imagine him sitting down and thinking to himself, "Man, I'm really fucking terrified of Bigfoots. What would it be like like what would what How would we make a situation happen where people encounter Bigfoot and what would it be like? What would the people be like? What would the Bigfoots be like? Why would they be like that? It seemed like he put a lot of thought into making the story as realistic as possible. Um, and that came through. It, it read very, very realistically. And it was easy for me to uh, accept everything that was going on, which allows you to kind of relax your your disbelief about things when it comes to the other stuff, which like Livia said, some very, very brutal things going on, things like Bigfoots that we haven't proven exist. Um, and it all just worked very well. The The format of this one being largely journal entries uh, mixed in with interviews and other stuff was, again, just another way of taking a, a, just a unique approach to a fiction narrative and making it feel more real and making it feel like you could be one of the people that's that's in this book um it's just hugely effective also hugely entertaining and engrossing and yeah i mean i can't say enough good about this book i gave it nine out of ten i'm so glad
1: we decided to do this one
0: yeah and there's a sloppy overall score of 8.6875
1: there you go podcast overall overall You you can round that up if you need to yeah 8.688 there you go perfect um i'm excited (laughs) to talk to max about this i want to get his take on 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 some of the things we talked about um for sure and um yeah it's yeah robo apocalypse i remember us talking about that and just calling it like world war robot or something because it it tried to do a a very similar thing and, and you forget um, over time how unique and original World War Z was. And like I said, I think that this this pays a great homage to it where it's that on a smaller scale, you know, yeah, which more. is really great. So.
0: And the intimacy that it creates is exactly mm-hmm. what makes it like so effective because you don't want to be in an intimate situation with
1: fucking Bigfoots. So, <laughs> no, no, Well, I don't listen. All I know <laughs> is there were a lot of books sold that were exactly about people being in intimate situations <laughs> with Bigfoots.
0: Oh no. Are we going to have a Bigfoot erotica episode now?
1: Oh my god, I hope not. I feel like uh, this is where you should insert the David James Keaton soundbite that Bigfoot's <laughs> are blowing up. Bigfoot's are blowing up. Um yeah. the uh I was just listening to to a podcast and uh they were talking about this woman. I think she was killed by like the gorilla that lived in her house. Like she had a pet gorilla or whatever. <laughs> and uh the the podcast he was i think i'm pretty sure it was on joe rogan um was talking about how they're pretty sure that she had actually had sex with this gorilla like mm. get slept in her bed with her and stuff so i don't know man that bigfoot erotica <sighs> might might not be as fictional as we think it is wow all um, right let's mark that down so max thanks for joining us i'm booked uh, do you think people are really having sex with bigfoots
0: you just hear like the skype equivalent of a dial tone yeah exactly it's like that, boop, boop um yep. before we move off of bigfoots um there is a movie that came out recently that i don't think you've seen it have you the the man who killed hitler and then the bigfoot
1: no you were telling me about that yeah. recently and i thought that actually sounded kind of interesting i'll have to i to pull that up on amazon or something
0: so for anybody who's not familiar with it it's a sam elliott uh movie absolutely check out the trailer but the whole the idea is um, Sam Elliott plays a guy who was just this fucking badass in world war II, and through, uh, flashbacks, like, so he lives a very solitary, boring life now. Like he lives alone. He doesn't really do much, like have a couple of beers at the bar and then like stumble home kind of guy. Um, but he's approached by the government because they need someone to kill a Bigfoot because the Bigfoot is carrying some disease that will cause a pandemic if it gets you know, into the human population. Um, and he's like, why are you coming to me? And they're like, you killed Hitler. And so in flashbacks, like they show the story of him killing Hitler. And it's just such a weird, it's a really weird movie. Um, and I won't say it's great, but like, it's one of those where you watch it once and you're like, yeah, I saw that movie. Uh, and it's just an interesting take, but like, I, I don't even know where the idea for something like that would come from it just seems so out of nowhere
1: um i mean that definitely sounds like a bizarro book like if you cleaned right. out all <laughs> the weird bizarro stuff out of it right like the premise is there right but you'd have to clear out all the crazy crazy shit yeah and it it, sounds but it fascinating. plays
0: it plays like a drama like a really low-key like indie drama flick
1: yeah that sounds interesting i'll, I'll have to cue that up i've uh I mean, TV has been awful with everybody on hiatus and things are postponed. Right. And essentially, yeah. if you turn on Sunday night television, it's Disney sing-alongs with people <laughs> through their like Zoom camera. It's, it's just fucking atrocious.
0: <laughs> I actually bought that one because it was hard to find. Um, so mm-hmm. when it came out on iTunes, I was like, I really want to watch this and just paid for it. So oh, nice. um, that that director got a little money out of me. Um, there you go. Yeah, it's one of those where it's like you're gonna just you're not gonna watch it a second time, but it's interesting to check and sam elliott's a fucking great
1: actor so um yeah tombstone oh yeah oh yeah yep um like i said i haven't been watching a lot um i've been watching um kim's convenience i think it's called like the first five episodes of that on netflix it's a canadian tv show about a uh that's a like a sitcom about a um korean convenience store owner um mm-hmm. that's that's been the highlight of my my uh my tv viewing so yeah yeah uh,
0: yeah yeah i like it that's oh i continue to be disappointed in penny dreadful so oh you're still watching yeah i'm
1: sticking I through it you. oh all right well we should probably get you on that because uh that's that's on now i think right or just ended or
0: uh i watched it earlier today um oh, right. and what we do in the shadows the season i think there's one episode left and it is just <sighs> destroying it it is like the best written humor that's that's available right now
1: i uh i think i might be two episodes behind i'm gonna agree with you and i'm not a big fan of tv sitcoms the last time i actually liked a, a sitcom on tv was probably the oh i like superstore um but before that was like the office so i really don't yeah. don't take in a lot of tv sitcoms but that one yeah i mean holy shit sure. it's uh it's great yeah the last one i i saw is um oh i can't think of his name um he goes on the run and then helps out a helps out a volleyball team in a small town oh the uh the jackie daytona episode yes yep yep so <laughs> yeah so I, I think i've got two now i think i have two to watch like this past week and the, the week before yeah yeah it's good stuff yeah uh, that'll
0: all right that's my in that is my solace that is like my you know port in the storm
1: <laughs> you get 21 minutes a week <laughs> Yeah. To, and I'll rewatch to shelter yourself from the rest of the world. I've
0: seen all those episodes multiple times because it's just it's my escape mm-hmm. from whatever. Well, right now. it's
1: also nice that they're like there's like yeah. 10 episodes per season. They're 20 minutes each. So it's yeah. like watching a movie, essentially totally. like a long movie. Um, yeah. So the next thing you should be hearing Max Brooks interview in just a few days, barring unforeseen circumstance, then another Max, Max Booth uh, will be reviewing um, Touch the Night which I have started and am roughly 50 pages into at this point, I believe Rob has not started it. I have not. Um, so we'll have that to talk about. And then who knows, potentially an interview with Mr. Booth, um, only so we can fulfill the other Guinness book of world records thing is the most guest named max in one year of a podcast. So, um, that's what we're shooting for. And then, uh, lots of cool stuff coming up. I know I'm looking forward to wonderland that's coming up soon. We've got, uh, Paul Tremblay's new book survivor song on the radar, Uh, Mallory is coming up. Mallory is the other one. Yeah. So it's going to be an exciting. um, Like two Stephen Graham
0: Jones books. Yep.
1: (laughs) Um, Also, if you are are one of the people that decided to partake in the booked club, uh, there has been a slight change communication to come soon. um, But don't worry. You will have a little bit longer to read um, whatever book we decide on um, than you would originally Keep an eye out on however we com- we're can. we communicating with you. And uh, I think that's it for this week.
0: Yeah, that's going to wrap it up. Come back very soon for the Max Brooks interview. Super excited about that. Till next time, Rob Olson.
1: And I'm Livia Sneddon. Keep reading.